The following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Jesus calls the twelve, and he, um, you know, he is going to send them out to, to do his ministry. And uh, it's clear from this passage that being a disciple, being a true follower of Christ, means doing ministry. Uh, there's nobody exempt from this calling. Every true follower, every disciple of Christ is called to ministry. And in most churches around the world, a lot of what pastors do when they get up on Sunday morning is to urge their people to do ministry. Not so much an issue here, right? Chances are, but we know, most of you are doing ministry. And so in that, um, our church is quite unique. And I think when I get to heaven, we're going to get like a special prize for most percentage people in ministry. I think there's a prize for that, right? right? Go CCF. Uh, so as we look through this, you know, the, my, I'm not going to be challenging you to get out there and serve God because you, you probably are. And if not... Well, hopefully you'll catch on as we go, right? Um, but in these passages, as Jesus begins to des- describe what ministry is, and as he starts to pass the torch from himself to his followers, uh, he really does give us a, a model for ministry, a blueprint or a pattern for doing ministry. And really the question more for us is, uh, not that we're doing stuff, but are we really doing stuff that fits the pattern or the model that God gave? Um, and, and that raises the question, did, did God give a pattern? Does he have a blueprint for ministry? Or is it just kind of, we just go out there and do stuff, and if you're busy for God, it counts for something? Well, from my own experience personally, I know for a fact in my own life that I have had plenty of times in my life where I was super busy for God. In fact, you know, the point of nervous breakdown, busy for God. But honestly, when I look back at it and evaluate those, some of those seasons in my life, I can't honestly say that I was accomplishing much in terms of kingdom work. And as we look through, and we, we look through at uh, what Jesus instructed his disciples to be doing, I can't honestly say that I was doing those things. So a real question for us to ponder and contemplate and think about is, not just are we busy, are we serving God, are we out there doing stuff, but are we really doing the stuff that Jesus instructed us to do? Are we really following the pattern for ministry and setting the priorities for ministry that Jesus gave? And when we go to evaluate what we're doing and how we're spending our time, uh, are we evaluating it against these standards, these benchmarks that Jesus gives us? Now, a little bit of disclaimer. Acts chapter 9, verses 1 to 9, we just read it, and there's some things in there you're going... You know, this is scary. I don't know if I really want to go there, right? This whole no purse, no money, you know, thing. Uh, Okay, disclaimer. This is phase one, right? What Jesus describes here is is not uh, exactly what's done and followed in Acts and in other places. Um, I, 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 I would doubt that there's a single person here who's here without a bank account, without money, without an ATM card, without a checking book, you know, we don't do it that way. Are we failing because we're not doing it exactly as Jesus described here? Well, this is a unique situation, and it's before the cross. And we'll talk a little bit about some of the purpose of it. But I do believe this, that what Jesus gives here is in its seminal form, in its seed form, 
everything that ministry is to be. And as the New Testament unfolds, the details of this model gets filled in. But I think the key concepts that Jesus lays out here would be true for every single one of us as we do ministry. So let's see what Jesus uh, calls them to do. Uh, first thing is he, uh, and actually to back up a little bit, uh, all the way back in um, chapter 6, he called these 12, and he named them as apostles. And if you were here, you would remember that. Uh, he called them as apostles, and he began the training process. So we see happening here in, in verse 1 and 2 when it says, He called the twelve together um, and gave them power and authority over all the demons and to cure diseases. And he set them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. Um, Jesus has already called these twelve. This isn't the first time that he's named the twelve. And he's been working with them. But there's a significant shift in what's happening here. Now no longer is he simply instructing them. They're at a point in their training where they are going to start doing the work that Jesus had for them. Uh, and it's, it's apparent from the very beginning that Jesus' plan was never to do the ministry all himself. Uh, Jesus, did, uh, Jesus could have done this. Jesus could have come to the world, and instead of spending all this time working with these disciples who were kind of clueless and hard-headed and didn't catch on very fast, Jesus could have just invented television, right? Or better yet, Facebook, right? <laughs> or YouTube. And he could have just gone viral, you know, made a few good you know, YouTube videos, get a Facebook page, poof, he's done, right? Um, he chose not to do that. And uh, not that those are necessarily bad things, but, but it's not Jesus' first plan of attack. His plan and purpose from the beginning was to call disciples who would participate and join with him and do his work. And so we see Jesus early on, long before these guys are actually very qualified or skilled or prepared, um, sending them out to do exactly what he's been doing. Up to this point, Jesus has been teaching and healing and casting out demons, and he sends them to do the exact same things, to teach, uh, to proclaim the kingdom, to cast out demons, and to heal the sick. Um, and he, he invests time with them. Uh, to disciple uh, and to multiply his ministry. Uh, ministry should be the same for us, right? If you're here and, and, and all you are about is your own personal ministry and what you are doing to serve God, that's great. But if you are not multiplying yourself, if you are not raising up others who can do what you do, uh, then there's a problem, right? Because it is a ministry of multiplication, of imparting uh, the message and the, the tools and skills to do the work of God in the lives of other people. And they, in turn, should be so equipped and so fitted and so skilled that they can actually go and raise up others who can go out and do the same thing. And that's Jesus' model. Um, he doesn't need Facebook. He doesn't need YouTube. He needs people who are disciple-makers making disciples who are disciple-makers. And that's... Um, that's Jesus' model from the beginning. Um, so a question to ask yourself this morning. Are you discipling somebody? And if you would say, well, I'm too busy to be discipling somebody, then I think Jesus may say to you, well, you're too busy doing the wrong things. Right? Not that, uh, you know, that some of those things may not be valuable or important, 
But if, if they so consume your time and energy and effort and attention, you have no time to disciple. You have no time to mentor and invest in other believers and to raise up um, young, immature people who need training and equipping. Then it may well be that you're not following Jesus' model for ministry. You know, just as you think about it, who are you discipling right now? Who are you mentoring? Who are you investing in? And how are you equipping them to proclaim the message and to do the work that Jesus did? Um, if you can't think of anybody, um, I, I would encourage you to start praying earnestly, God, who would you have me disciple? Who do I know? Who am I in contact with? Bring me somebody that I can be raising up as a disciple maker. Because that's what Jesus called us to. Um, second thing, so Jesus is multiplying himself and he calls us to, to do the same. Um, but he does more than just teach them. And discipleship is more than just imparting information to people. Uh, and that's, uh, some of us who are gifted in teaching, that's what we naturally do and we often default to that where we, we do training courses and we, we go through Bible studies. And that's this, this good. Okay, I'm not saying that's bad. But uh, uh, if that's as far as it gets, we're not really making true disciples. Notice what Jesus did. It says that Jesus gave them power and authority. So he's been teaching them for a long time, all the way from back in chapter 6, um, two chapters ago. How much time that was, we don't really know. Um, Time has gone by. Jesus has been teaching them. He's been modeling ministry at, at every level. But now as he sends them out, he's, it says that he gives them power and authority. Uh, the word power is the common Greek word dunamis. We get dynamite from. Uh, power is not, and you know, the, the problem with identifying it with dynamite is we can tend to think of power as this abstract force or like this cosmic you know, power, like aura or something. Like we walk into the room and we just kind of People fall over because of our power, right? Well, that's not really what the word means. The word simply means the ability to do something. So if you have power, it just means you're able to do something. So, like, for example, balancing a checkbook, I am powerless, right? I don't have the capacity or ability to do that. Pretty much anything with numbers, uh, lots of people would verify, I have no power for it. I have no ability, right? Uh, but Jesus gives them a capacity or a, an ability, and he gives them an ability to do two things. One, to proclaim the message that he's given them, and specifically here he calls it the message of the kingdom of God. And secondly, he gives them the ability to cast out demons and heal the sick. It's, a, it's an ability. And so as they go out, they don't have to struggle or work hard at this. They do it with the same ease that Jesus did it. They go out and they heal, they, they uh, give... Uh, make, make the lame walk, they heal the blind with the same ease as Jesus did. Uh, they don't have to marshal extra faith. It's, a, it's an ability that they have. Um, now, you know, the question comes, well, so in ministry, uh, does that mean that Jesus has given us the same power, that we should all be able to go out and heal and cast out demons as they did? Um, complicated question. I, I don't have time to go into the whole answer. But let me just say this. This is phase one, right? And as, as the New Testament developed, as I said, uh, more details get filled in on this. 
the truth is that we all together are given a spiritual power. But Acts and, and Paul and, and the epistles explain to us that that power is a spiritual gift that enables us to do a piece of God's work. So all of us are given power, and that power is in the form of spiritual gifts. Uh, some of you may have the spiritual gift of healing, uh, where you are able to help those who are sick get better. Uh, and ideally, if you have that gift, you would be in some kind of medical profession, right, where that is your ministry. But the whole scope of Jesus' ministry is not captured in any one single of us. Right? We are together collectively the body of Christ. And so I am not the resident, all in all, Jesus person who heals, who preaches, who raises the dead, who, you know, uh, gives money and all of it. Right? We, we all have a peace. And the New Testament tells us that the Holy Spirit has assigned to each one, according to God's plan and program, a spiritual gift. But the reality is, whatever your gift is, it is a spiritual power. It is the capacity and ability to do something supernaturally above and beyond your own talent, skill, and ability. It is something that God has empowered you to do with great effectiveness. Um, do you know what your spiritual gift is? Do you know what God has empowered you to do? Certainly, whatever ministry looks like for you, it should be in line with what he has gifted you to do. And God's call and his giving of gifts would be in the same, same vein. Um, um, and you know, there's lots of ways to break out the spiritual gifts, and I'm not going to say much about spiritual gifts. It would be a different study. But when you think about the three things that Jesus does here, that he, he gives them power to preach, power to heal, and power to cast out demons, which is kind of spiritual house cleaning, you could break the spiritual gifts up into those categories. There are those spiritual gifts that relate to the preaching of the word. Things like preaching, teaching, evangelism, prophecy, apostleship, tongues, interpretation of tongues. Um, those are all word-focused uh, gifts. The ability to communicate the message with power and effectiveness. Uh, likewise, there are another group of gifts that would be providing some kind of healing care or spiritual house cleaning. So mercy serving, uh, the gift of physical healing, counseling, giving administration, uh, discerning, those all really kind of fit into that setting, second category. So it's true that really all of us as the body of Christ are involved in these two main activities, preaching the word and bringing about the healing restoration of people's lives. Um, and, and we should be, uh, be aware and be uh, developing those gifts that God's given us. And ministry should be um, teaching and healing using that God-given power. Um, but not only does God give them power, that capacity, but it says he also gives them authority. Authority is the license to preach, right? Um, what is the difference between power and authority? Power is the ability... Authority is the freedom, permission, or right to do something. So think about driving, um, driving a car. When I, I grew up on a farm, and so when I was 12, 13 years old, I started driving. Uh, and we had, thankfully, lots of wide open space and not too many things to crash into. And what few things we had, I managed to find. Um, but I started driving quite young because that's what you had to do on the farm. And by the time I was 15, I could drive anything from a car to a school bus, right? Uh, I had the ability to do that. 
but I did not have permission, right? I could drive on our farm. I could drive on some of the dirt roads around in the rural area where we lived. If I were to go into town, um, there are very nicely uniformed people who would remind me that I don't have freedom or permission to do that. Right? But when I turned 16, I got a license. And a license is the, the state of Colorado, in that case when I was 16, giving me permission and freedom to drive anywhere I wanted. Well, not anywhere, but uh, on roads anyway, right? Um, in Thailand, you know, maybe, maybe you have a Thai driver's license. They've given you permission to drive here. And my observation is that, th that the Thai government may give that permission even if you don't have the ability, right? <laughs> just, my, just my observation, right? So, so God gives us an ability, but he also gives us the right to use that ability, we have been given spiritual permission and freedom to exercise those gifts and that power, that preaching of the word. Uh, and nobody can say to us, no adversary, no, no, no spiritual power, no government, no person can tell us, you don't have a right to do that. Right? It is our right, it is our privilege, it is our freedom to minister in the name of Christ. We are in a sense, uh, and Jesus would affirm, and I think the New Testament would would affirm, we are all ordained ministers. Right? We are all the priesthood of believers. And every single person has the right and the calling and the permission to do ministry. Um, so, so there's nothing holding us back. It is what God has called us to do. Uh, from here, Jesus shifts uh, a little bit and he starts talking more specifically about what the focus or goal of that ministry is to be. Um, he says that we are, we are licensed specifically to preach and to heal. Uh, and he says, he says at the beginning of the passage, at the end when they return, two slightly different things. And I want you to notice the difference. In verse 2 he says, He sent them out with the purpose, sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. Right? It says they go out and they, they have great success. And in verse 6 it says they went through the villages preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Okay, did you catch the difference? Jesus sent them out to preach what? The kingdom. But when they went out, they actually preached the gospel. Those heretics, those, those rebellious disciples, okay, they just can't get anything right. Jesus says, go preach the kingdom. They go preach the gospel. What's the, what's the deal? Well, uh, the question is, obviously, they weren't rebelling. <laughs> obviously, they were doing exactly what Jesus told them to. So the question is, what's the difference between the kingdom and the gospel? How do these two things line up? Are they the same? Are they, the different? Are they different? Uh, which one are we supposed to do? Well, my answer would be that... Uh, and, and Jesus uses these terms quite interchangeably. The gospel and the kingdom are the same thing. And the reality is that the, king, the kingdom is, is primarily about the king. Okay, you don't have a kingdom without a king. And in fact, in Jesus' day, they really wouldn't have understood kingdom quite like we do. For us, we tend to think of kingdom as a place and its government as the institution that governs and rules that place. So we talk about the kingdom of Thailand and its government and its structure. And right now we know that there is a current king of Thailand, but that particular king is optional. 
uh, when he dies, somebody else can step in and take his place. But in the, the Greek and New Testament concept, it was much more about the king. Right? The kingdom was the rule of the king, of that specific person who exercised their power and authority to rule a people. So they would always identify a kingdom far more with the person than the institution. And that is absolutely true when it comes to Jesus. Right? Jesus is the king who rules by virtue of his person. It is his kingdom because he rules it with his own character and his own life. So uh, it is a kingdom because Jesus has come. And Jesus says the kingdom of God, God has come near because Jesus is there. But the, the rest of the story is that this king who's come as Messiah, who's come to set up God's new rule and order in the world, also came as a king who would lay down his life for his subjects. Right? Uh, Jesus would rule a new world with a new order, but he would do it first and foremost by laying his life down as the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. He is a king, but he's a king who would die for us. So it is a kingdom of the gospel. In fact, in Luke 4.43, Jesus says this, I must, must preach the good news of the kingdom of God. Right? They are uh, deeply intertwined. And you can't have one without the other. Sadly, in our day... Those two things are, are oftentimes separated out into two distinct things. Uh, and granted, the gospel and the kingdom often have a slightly different focus, even though they come from the st same starting point. Um, and this is how it gets divided out. Uh, people who are very kingdom-focused tend to see the, the kingdom being about restoring the world and social order as God designed. So people who are very much about kingdom ministry would be about things like justice ministry, anti-trafficking, freeing the oppressed, uh, the social ministry of helping the poor, the orphan, and the widow. Right? Uh, and, and there's truth in that, because the kingdom is bringing in God's rule. It's restoring the original design and order of what God wanted this world to be like and how he wanted society to run and operate. And uh, fighting for justice is part of the gospel, but what happens is people become so focused on the kingdom uh, that they lose any sense of urgency about proclaiming what Jesus did on the cross. Right? They're all about the restoration work of Christ, not the redeeming work of Christ. And so it's possible to do kingdom work without ever telling people their need for salvation and what Christ has done for them on the cross. Um, the, the other extreme would be those who are all about the cross, who are all about the gospel as the redeeming work of Christ, uh, who work hard at evangelism and discipleship, teaching and preaching the word, but who could care less about poor people, right? And who have no effort or attempts to see justice restored or to care for uh, the, the social issues that are uh, going on all around us, people with needs because of the injustice and corruption of, of society and government. Well, both of those, both of those extremes would fail uh, because they both misunderstand the gospel and the kingdom. Jesus sees these two things as uh, deeply intertwined, and you cannot extract one from the other. 
If you are doing kingdom work, it must begin with the cross. If you are doing gospel work, it must carry forward to the restoration of social order and justice. Right? Both must be true if you are doing and following God's blueprint for ministry. Uh, I think, I think where we get off is we think of the gospel as the beginning of the journey and the kingdom as the end of, of the journey, right? I start with the gospel, and uh, someday the kingdom will come. But Jesus says, no, the gospel has to do with all of life from beginning now through all of eternity. Likewise, the kingdom is something that's come near to us now. Jesus says the kingdom is near. The kingdom is among you. Right? The kingdom has come. Not in its full and final form, but we are, through Christ, currently members of God's kingdom. And we're to be working to see it established and its work carried out in this world. So therefore, Jesus sent them out both to preach and to heal. Uh, preaching might be more identified with gospel work and healing more with kingdom work, but both should be true in our life. Right? We should be about both of these things. Uh, and Jesus did both. Again, and I've quoted this often because it's kind of Jesus, it's his, it's his life verse, right, from Isaiah. Uh, and he quotes it, he reads it in Luke 4 where he says, The Spirit of the Lord has come upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released and the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Uh, Jesus preached and he healed. Right? He proclaimed the good news of, the, uh, of salvation, and he fixed people's lives. He cast out demons, and he restored them to wholeness. Um, so I, I'm convinced that any clear ministry strategy needs to be intentional about both, both parts of this. Right? We should be about the ministry of the word and the ministry of, of healing. Um, and by healing, I would take that as a very broad category, not just healing the physically sick, but healing the broken. The truth is every single human life has been shattered and broken by sin. The, the ravaging effects of sin upon us are horrific. Right? And we all are dealing with post-traumatic sin syndrome. Right? We're suffering with the results of a life that's both been sinful and been the, the victim of sin. Uh, people are broken, and they, we all need healing. And so part of our ministry is bringing healing to broken people. But likewise, the world is broken. Society is broken. Governments are broken. The systems are broken. Uh, and we are not necessarily the ultimate solution of those systems, but we should be laboring to see uh, wholeness and healing come to every level, from the individual to the corporate to the social to the political. Um, okay, enough on that. Moving right along. Um, Jesus finally ends with our work and our wages. Uh, he says this in verse 3, uh, our favorite verse here. And he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, and don't even have two tunics. I don't even have one tunic. Um, and whatever house you enter, stay there. And from there, depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. This is pretty hardcore. 
that Jesus sent the 12 out with nothing. Okay, he said, go with the shirt on your back, nothing else. You can't even take a walking stick. And for sure, no bank card, no ATM, no checkbook, no savings account, no change, no money, no food, no bread, no snacks, no potato chips, nothing, right? Nothing. You just go out and you start telling people about Jesus. And when you come into a village, you, you find a house that will welcome you and you stay there until you're done in that village. And then you go to a new village. You don't keep switching houses. You stay in one place, right? And if they... Don't receive your message. You shake the dust off your feet and you move on. Right? Extreme ministry. Right? I know for me, when I came uh, to Thailand, I came with two big suitcases, right? And uh, that's not the end of it because when anybody comes, we tell them, don't bring clothes, right? Your suitcase won't have room for clothes. You need to bring us stuff. Right? <laughs> right? We all have our list, right? We got our list of what we want. You don't need clothes, right? Just bring my whatever. My, my treasures, right? Um, you know, we're all reading this hoping, man, I hope this was just like a, you know, like a before the cross thing because I ain't doing this, right? I'm not going there. Uh, and certainly none of us live this way. Um, so what does this mean? What is Jesus saying here? And what is he telling us about ministry? Well, uh, as I said, this is phase one. Uh, and it's important to note that that Jesus was sending these guys out on a short-term missions trip. Okay, they weren't they weren't going to these villages to live for the rest of their life. They were going out on a uh, from a few days to a few weeks, right? So it was in, in some senses more feasible to, to do it this way. Um, but it's important to really understand what what this meant. All right, and and um, I believe uh, what it meant is this: that Jesus is saying, "I don't want you to go out like the typical itinerant preachers of Jesus' day." And the reality was, in Jesus' day, there were both religious teachers and preachers as well as philosophers who could make a really good living as itinerant speakers. And they would go into a village, and um, they would stand up in the middle of town somewhere, and they would start to, to orate. And, and some of them were very gifted orators and were very entertaining in an age when there was not YouTube and Facebook and TV people would come out to hear these guys who oftentimes were great storytellers and good communicators and would, would unpack the latest philosophy and religious wisdom. And it was a great way to make a living. And they would take money and uh, would get wealth, wealthy off of this. And the, and the way it might work, you go into a village and nobody knows you when you first get there. So the only people who would take you into your house is like, some poor little widow who's, you know, grandma and lonely, and uh, says, you know, hey, Sonny, come stay at my house, right? And she's dirt poor and lives in a little shack, so you go there. But after you kind of get a chance to preach some, and people hear you, and they, they go, wow, this guy is good, and you attract the attention of the mayor and the wealthy, influential people of the town. And they say, hey, come stay at my house, because it elevates their status to have such a well-spoken, important person in their home. So if things go well, you start at grandma's house, but you upgrade, right? And you end up at the mayor's house, and you have a big feast. And, and Jesus says, uh, you're not doing that, right? This is not how I'm sending you out. And he says, uh, and I think the message what Jesus is saying to them here is, you are not to do this for personal gain, Right? This is not about a great way for you to get rich. And here's the deal. 
Jesus just promised to give them incredible power and authority. So when it comes to attracting a crowd and, and um, being impressive, these guys had some good skills. You know, uh, raising the dead, helping blind, blind people see. If you want to make a living, because this is going to be a good show, right? and you're going you're to attract attention, and, and they would have the, the capacity to do this for great personal gain. And Jesus says to them, this is not about you. Right? This is not about you fixing yourself for life off of, by selling my message and by doing my ministry. Right? That's not the goal. You are to do this for other reasons. Um, so when you go to a town, uh, you go and you stay, in the fir- you stay at grandma's house the whole time. Right? You're not jumping around. You're not taking a bag so that you have something to put all the cash people give you into. Okay? When people offer you money, you say, hey, sorry, I don't even have a, I don't even have a, a wallet. You know, I can't take it with me. You do the ministry and you, you allow people there to provide for your daily needs and nothing more. And when you go on to the next town, you go as you came with nothing but the shirt on your back. Right? Um, clearly that's not the way ministry often is done today, right? And sadly, too many people have found ministry as a great means of personal gain and wealth. Uh, it's kind of an extreme example, but uh, Benny Hinn has done uh, a number of crusades in India, and he will not actually stay in India. He has his own private jet that flies him back and forth from the city where he's doing a crusade to Dubai, right? where he stays in a $10,000 a night room and gets back on his personal jet to fly him back to wherever that he does a crusade, right? I'm thinking Jesus would say, you missed, it. You missed something somewhere, right? That's not, that's not what it's about, right? The gospel should not be a way to cash in for personal gain. Uh, Obviously, Jesus does not send us out and expect us to go out with nothing, right? And certainly in Acts and in, in the New Testament, uh, as, as it unfolded, it was different. Paul went out as a tent maker. He took his whole business with him, right? He didn't just take his stuff. He took his whole uh, money-making machine with him so that he could support himself in ministry. He calls the church to generously support ministry, right? Uh, certainly, Jesus doesn't expect us to not have homes or possessions, right? But the question is, what is your motive for being here, serving God, doing ministry? Is it a comfy way to live? Is it really, honestly, just the best you could do? (laughs) Sometimes I kind of feel that way. It's like, well, I could work like as a laborer or I could be a preacher. Preacher's easier, right? Uh, But Jesus says that should not be our incentive, that it's a comfortable, easy life. In fact, we should be people who are committed to living simply, not to accumulating wealth. And if we get the whole thing about preaching the word and, and, and doing kingdom work, we should be people who are extremely generous. And if God blesses us, we should be giving it away as fast as we are getting it, right? Uh, if we really are serious about the kingdom. Uh, this, this also tells us that ministry should be about total dependence on God. They were to go out and they were to trust God alone. Right? 
that we may not go out without anything. We, we may not go out with just the clothes on our back. But we do need to go out in a, in a way that is totally dependent on God's provision and care. Right? Now, that can look a lot of different ways in our world. Um, but the point is, are we limiting God's call in our life because we feel that the provisions are not adequate? Right? Um, Jesus took away any excuse that would sound like this, well, God, I would go, and I will go as soon as I get that extra pair of shoes so when my first pair wear out, I'll you know, not have to go barefoot. Right? You know, I'll go as long as I, I have funding and support. Uh, the disciples could have answered, well, you know, Jesus, our support's only at 50% right now. I think I better wait, right? Um, Jesus strips that away, right? And he says, plain and simple, if I call you and I send you, you need to go and trust me to provide and take care. God will give us uh, his power. He will give us his gifts. He will call us. And he promises he will supply every need. He will supply every need. Uh, do we believe that, right? Are we really going out with the conviction that God is taking care of us. Now, he may do that for you by providing a job. He may do that for you by providing very generous supporters. He may provide by you inheriting some, you know, huge inheritance that, of course, you'll share at least some with me uh, out of your generosity. God may do that in a lot of different ways, right? But are you limiting what you will do based on how things look? Right? Or will you trust him completely? Well, lastly, uh, they are not to work for personal gain. They're to trust God. Well, what are they to work for? Well, this uh, last section seems a little uh, like it doesn't quite fit. It says, They departed, went through the villages, preached the gospel, healing everywhere. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening, and he was super confused. And he starts asking these questions. Man, did, did John come back to life? I killed him once. And now he's back, right? What do I do to get rid of this guy? Um, is it Elijah? And he was confused. Here, here's the deal. Their preaching and, and healing ministry was so powerful and effective, uh, news of it reached Herod. And Herod wanted to know, who is this Jesus guy? Right? The point, I think, Paul, and the reason Paul includes this uh, account here. As he, his point is this, we don't, we don't minister for personal gain, we minister for Jesus' fame, right? The point of it all is to make his name great and famous, to increase Jesus' reputation and glory everywhere we go. That's the point, that's the goal. And ministry should be measured on those terms. What are we doing to make Jesus famous in Thailand, in Asia, in Chiang Mai, wherever you live and work? Are you increasing by your word and by your work the image and glory of Christ in the place where you are? So that even to the top levels of government, they hear about it and they're asking, what is with these Christians? What is it about this Jesus that they are doing this? Now, they may not get it. They may be like Herod, super perplexed and confused. But they should know who Jesus is because we've been here and because of the work and labor and preaching that we have done. Um, ultimately, Jesus says you measure success not by a number of converts, not by a number of people healed, 
but by how successful you've been in making Jesus' name great to the highest levels of the land. Right? Um, and lastly, he says this. He says, uh, don't take it personally. Right? Uh, wherever they do not receive you, when, when you leave, shake the dust off your feet. Right? They'll need to pray. This is not a skill we learn in Bible college. And I missed that class, Dust Shaking 101, right? <laughs> Which is too bad because probably some of us could use this class, right? How do, you, how do you deal with failure, right? Because Jesus says you're going to go out and your job is to preach and to heal. Your job is to go out and proclaim my message and do my work. But the reality is it may not always go very well. And oftentimes you will not be received well. And even though you powerfully work miracles and powerfully preach the word, the deal is some people are just going to blow you off and reject the whole deal. Right? What do you do with that? Well, Jesus says, don't take it personally, because that's not your problem. Your job is to preach and to heal. Their job is to respond, and it's between them and God what they do with your ministry. So here's the deal. If they receive it, you can't actually take a whole lot of credit for it, right? Because uh, you were successful because God gave you a power and ability to do something, and God worked through that to draw people to himself, and God did that. And those people chose to follow and respond to your message, right? Others won't. Don't, don't blame yourself for that, right? Don't feel that you are a failure because after years of laboring and working, you don't have disciples to show for it. Right? We should be measuring ourselves on are we faithfully proclaiming and faithfully working the work that Jesus did. Right? If we're doing that activity and we are out there, we are uh, taking the gospel, right? um, and we're making his name great and known, right? we should be uh, confident that we have done his work. The rest is up to God. Right? And so we shouldn't blame ourselves. We also should be careful to pat ourselves on the back too much when there's success. So I hope, hope this gives you some tools to evaluate your life and ministry. And as we close, just a couple questions. Um, as you evaluate your life and ministry, um, we talked about the preaching side and the healing side, proclaiming the word uh, helping people. If you were to break those two sides into separate pieces, what grade would you give yourself on the helping side of the equation? Like A, B, C, D, failing, right? And don't worry, you know, you don't have to stay after school, so um, grade yourself. In terms of uh, helping your kids and family, with your coworkers, with people you know around you who have real needs, um, are you, are you in a place where you are using your gift and that power that God has given you to help people in some way, to, to, to be doing that phase of ministry? And are you really serious and intentional about kingdom work that is the restoring side of, of gospel ministry? Um, and can you name some specific ways that you are doing that? Right? That would be some ways you could evaluate your ministry. On the flip side, as you evaluate the proclaiming side, proclaiming the truth, um, and, and, you know, we, we're gifted in different areas, but we're called to be engaged in both, right? 
So you may not have a gift of evangelism as your main gift or preaching or teaching, but are you uh, being a faithful witness to what God has done in your life uh, with, your, with your kids and your family? Um, are you aware, you know, is there somebody in your life you can identify that you are discipling at some level, you are mentoring, you are imparting and raising up for ministry? Uh, and if not, are you committed to praying that God would raise up that person in your life? Uh, now, as you grade those two sides, which gets this higher grade, right? Like, like A plus on one and F on the other. It's a C average. That's good, right? Um, if, if they're way out of balance, what can you do to shift the balance some, right? What do you need to do to bring both pieces of that ministry puzzle into place? Um, and specifically, what can you be doing this week to change or to to start fixing that imbalance, right? What are some specific things you could do to be really doing the ministry that God has laid before us? You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.